One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to British Indie Film Club, a new limited podcast series brought to you by Biffa and Little White Lies magazine, where we meet some of the most exciting voices from the British independent film world. I'm Leila Latif. And I'm Karis Aldridge. And today we are speaking to the director Shane Meadows to discuss his celebrated career, as well as the re-release of his 2004 cult classic, Dead Man's Shoes. As previous listeners know, each episode will be meeting a talented actor or director to find out how they got their break in film, what they love most about their profession and what the future holds. And to celebrate Biffa's 25th birthday, we'll also be asking our guests to pick a film from the Biffa archives to discuss, either a cult classic or a contemporary gem from the past 25 years. For those of you who are regular listeners to Truth and Movies, you may recognise me. I'm a film critic, broadcaster and columnist. And I'm a sales exec and podcast host. I've worked across film sales, marketing and distribution on UK independent films and participated in the Creative England producing course, supporting up and coming UK producers. Oh, and most of all, we are the friends that we made along the way as we now kind of tie up what is, but the, you know, in theory, our uh, final episode, who knows, there may be some, some revivals, but yeah, this is it, Karis. I had six so. wonderful filmmakers, six wonderful conversations. I know, I can't believe it. I can't believe the season, if that's what we're calling it, is coming to an end. It feels like it's only just started, but I feel, yeah, we've had such great talent. So I feel really lucky and excited to be able to chat to all these people. It's been great. I do feel like I should be able to say that, like, and look how the film industry has transformed over these performances. Can you believe it? When we started, there was a strike. It's the, yeah, just descended into further chaos, if anything. <laughs> but, you know, we really, if anything, we've really actually captured a, a moment in time. So, you know, and it's pretty historic. So it's like, it's kind of a good thing that we've been able to chat over these uh, few months. Yeah. And I mean, I guess a British independent film has not really been the one that has been suffering um, due to these things. There's still kind of lots of exciting stuff being made. And I know you and I have just been back from festivals, which is very exciting. And yeah, some buzzy titles still made it out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, as you can tell from my incredibly croaky voice, I have just come back from um, a busy Toronto and you yourself, Venice. So, yeah, I know. And there was definitely loads of really good things. I mean, it's a weird vibe to be there without talent because, of course, that does create a certain atmosphere. But that's not to say that the um, lineups of the films themselves was affected in any way. And we were definitely still spoiled with some great movies, which is what we're there for in the first place. So yeah, good times. Yeah, I mean, there was, um, you know, quite a few of the ones at Venice, at least, that had exemptions or they kind of, I believe they call them interim deals that they'd made. So things like Ferrari, Priscilla were able to kind of do for promotion. But then also, you know, we did have 
non-Hollywood stars um, in the form of, you know, from Italy, from Japan, you know, those people weren't being struck against. So it wasn't like a complete lack of kind of glamorous actors on the red carpet. And if there's anything positive to say about this, and I don't want to be overly positive because people are losing their homes and unable to feed their families whilst the strikes rage on. But like, I felt like a couple of like exciting little British films also like really made their marks. I was in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Film Festival, which is actually where I spoke to Shane just before Venice. And like people were very excited about things like Horde and Sky Peels. And at Edinburgh, there was a fantastic film that was like the opening night film called uh, Silent Roar, which, you know, really made a huge impact and a kind of quite a sweet, silly rom-com uh well sweet silly queer rom-com which is the best kind uh chuck chuck baby mm-hmm. as well and, and like people seem yes. to be very excited for those movies which was kind of a nice thing to see and you wonder whether in a sort of media landscape where people are trying to get the most engagement possible maybe one tiny thing to be positive about would be that maybe these films got a bit more attention absolutely yeah i think these films are able to come to the fore in a way they may have been slightly swallowed up by the press and media otherwise. So definitely take that as a win. But what about Toronto? I want to hear about it. I've never been. I've never been to Canada. Oh, really? Yeah, Toronto was fun. It was good. Yeah, as I said, I'm kind of there from a more like film sales perspective. So sadly, I, as much as I try, and trust me, I try, I didn't actually get a chance to sneak into Scotiabank and watch a bunch of stuff. Um, I was there for a movie called Borderline, which was in the industry select section, which is a slightly separate section to the official selection. So um, in terms of having people there, it's kind of exempt from it. But it was it was interesting. I definitely think that the, there was a slightly different vibe and atmosphere without all the stars on the carpets. I mean, last year specifically having, you know, the power of Taylor Swift and Harry Styles and Viola Davis, like it, it, they really brought out the big guns last year. So I think it was always going to be tricky to follow that up, even if it had been a kind of quote unquote normal Toronto, but it definitely felt incredibly quiet. But yeah, there there were 35 films from CAA, which is one of the biggest US agents, specifically screening in the festival, which is a lot. And they were all available for at least North America, if not all of international. So there was a lot for people to be watching and screening and yeah it was it was definitely very interesting this year yeah I mean that is like a real shame it it does feel that like more than just the economic ramifications it's like there's just so much distrust that is going to be very hard I think for the filmmaking community to move on from with this and like not just the strikes and kind of the sneakiness and you hear about people certain guilds releasing certain information about like the other one being unreasonable that turns out to not be false that aside just the amount of stuff that is being promised and then deleted like how do you come back from like that you make Batgirl and then they just refuse to actually put it out there for economic reasons I mean I don't understand at all how that could possibly make the money but evidently it does but like also all of these shows on all of these platforms that are just being cancelled very prematurely or deleted and no longer exist anywhere because 
there's no form of them in physical media like how do filmmakers even have like trust now yeah I really feel for them it's difficult to you know I mean to even get the green light for a project to be made is a huge achievement and then to go through that entire process and then for it to be I don't know either written off as kind of reasonable good debt by HBO or Warner or to just yeah like never see the light of day I mean it's a tough pill to swallow as and that's the biggest understatement ever so oh it's tough yeah well we started in uncertain times we ended in uncertain times maybe we'll come back for more certain times yeah but I mean yeah. one thing that we can at least rely on is that Shane Meadows is great his films are great. He is the nicest man. Um, I absolutely adored him. Um, and he like really fumed me. My family, um, my grandmother and grandfather live for many years in like, I wouldn't even call it a village. It's basically a road called Cragdale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking a place that not only does not have a church, we're saying it, it doesn't have a shop. So, <laughs> and you have to get up a track which most cars would not fit down. Um, and it's about 45 degrees. The only way I can describe it, and it's very remote, the only way I can describe it is like, imagine the nightmare place for your elderly grandparents. <laughs> and that's where they live. Um, I know, well, yes. <laughs> um, it, um, it's beautiful. I love it there. And like many of my happiest childhood memories are being in Cragvale, which sort of sits between oh, oh, the yeah. bustling hubs of Hebden Bridge and Mythamroyd. <laughs> it was really nice coming to talk to him not only about like Dead Men's Shoes, which is getting a re-release for his anniversary, but also he's just done the Gallows Pole, which was like this incredible three-part series for the BBC, which is set in Crag Vale. So yes, forgive my enthusiasm. Off with, no, no uh, I love it. No, it's great. I mean, what to be able to put that on the map? I love it. <laughs> yeah. Me and Shane and my nan. Slowly but surely, making, <laughs> making, get that, on, get that on WhatsApp group. Definitely needed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's get straight into the interview. Here is Shane Meadows. Hey. Hi. How are you? How are you? Yeah. Very excited to talk to you. Hey, I'll zoom back at you. <laughs> it's also, um, my nan was absolutely thrilled. My, a lot of my family's from Cragvale. So we were all super excited that also Crag Vale came to the screen with you recently. Oh, it's amazing up there. I had such a lovely shoot. The people up at that neck of the woods are incredible. Um, and Crag, yeah, Crag Vale, there was a couple of, because we did some open auditions. Mm -hmm. And um, so lots of people from Halifax and Bradford and, and, and people from Crag Vale ended up actually on screen. And the people you see in a lot of the pub scenes and some of the people with main characters were all from sort of West Yorkshire. Um, so it was an absolute joy and it's a beautiful part of the world it really is it's very very um dramatic and like romantic and but a bit of a yeah. sinister underbelly bit <laughs> yeah sort of cold and windy but nice but still really cold and yeah when you get up in those moors it, it's uh yeah it's quite a rugged place we were, we were very very excited to finally see Cragvale representation come to the screen long overdue yeah <laughs> but yeah i'm wondering now being at um edinburgh and like getting to see people watch dead men's shoes again do you feel like the reaction to it was any different from people seeing it for the first time versus in like 2004 was it when it first came out yes well because the, the screening is this evening so oh, okay. i've not actually had that the last time i saw it was was 10 years ago 
mm-hmm. and they did a, a live event with um, Gavin Clark, rescored it. And uh, so I've not seen it myself for 10 years. You know, of all the things that I've kind of made, what has happened over the last 20 years is you kind of, you know, eight out of 10 people that, you know, want to talk to you about someone who maybe likes your stuff. Dead Man's Shoes always comes up and is at the top of a lot of people's work. And so you kind of, you know, it's like anything, if you could bottle it, you know, you kind of, because you don't, you, you wonder what was it about that that really resonated with people. So it'll be fascinating this evening to actually see how it plays. I've not seen it in, in a cinema for 15 years, but I, th- I think something about um, what's lovely about the re-release is it was released 20 years ago, didn't really do anything in the cinema. And then everyone that really likes it or you know or you know people that are coming now i don't think any of them will ever have seen it on a big screen so it's really lovely to, to have the opportunity to most people will have seen it on vhs or a mate borrowed dvd and yeah. so yeah i feel really proud it's back that was the kind of experience i had at university it was one of the dvds that people passed around and be like no no yeah. you really gotta see this and i guess we don't i mean there's social media and letterbox but we don't have that sort of like organic word of mouth in the same way when without the physical media yeah there was something lovely uh, you know it's really funny because I used to love going into record shops and and into like you know when I'd be down editing something I'd, I'd forever be in HMV on Oxford Street in the world cinema section and you'd kind of it's really difficult to know how to you know you find things now you know you've got mates who've seen something on Netflix a new documentary series and it, it all happens in a different way doesn't it but there was something sort of far less romantic about a, you know, sort of dog-eared VHS tape getting passed around. But it's really different to when, you know, when Deadman Shoes came out. And, you know, it's really interesting now how people find work. But that the days of, you know, I had things thrust in mind. But when I was a kid, it was things like Spinal Tap or With Nell and I. Again, they had not really done anything. So people going, you have to watch this, the funniest thing you've ever seen. And, um, yeah, it's a really nice way to share work. I mean, now, how different does it feel to you now? Because obviously you're kind of a very established name and like a lot of your collaborators like Stephen Graham and Paddy Considine have kind of, you know, become big names as well. And I assume it's kind of easier to make things done, but a very different industry to operate in. Like, how's it kind of changed for you now making things? Yeah, I suppose for me, I find it easier making things now, not simply from a budget level, but because technology's moved to the point that it has. Because when I was making my early short films on like really, really low quality sort of high eight tapes or VHS tapes. They basically looked like really low quality films and they looked cheap and and it was difficult to get your work financed off the back of them because people that were maybe had been at film college or um, that had backing, you know, there were short films being made in the mid nineties that were costing like 150, 200,000 pounds. You know, and you know, I was making them on these really crappy tapes. So I would have died for some of the equipment that, that's around now. I mean, you know, most of us have got a phone in our pocket now that shoots at way superior quality. So in a, in a funny way for me now, because I can afford, because I improvise, mm-hmm. I have um, four or five cameras filming every scene. And if I was trying to do that with film 20 years ago, the cost of developing film was so excessive. You could only run it for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So now you put a memory card into a camera, you can shoot for two hours. And so for me, changes in technology have been huge. You know, budget-wise, you know, there's always a struggle to get finance and those kind of things. But it's wonderful for me now. But I I do feel for, uh, you know, up-and-coming filmmakers because although it seems on the surface to be easier because you've got this great equipment at your hand, how on earth do you get spotted amongst the other 2 trillion people mm-hmm. that have, you know, it's like you're trying to get your foot in the door on YouTube. How do you get your work kind of seen? You know, I was making these pretty crappy short films and, you know, we were watching them in little cinemas and short film festivals or you'd enter them into competitions. 
Um, and it doesn't really, you know, it feels like now there's such a saturated market that it, although you might have equipment that can make things look good, it's maybe really tricky to get your voice heard. But, you know, they're, all the main financiers, you know, they've got these new startup schemes and, mm-hmm. and things for people to get their foot in the door. So a lot of changes. But for me personally, it, it's all been for the good. And that ability to like improvise now with like that new technology, does that kind of like change your approach to getting these performances out of people? Because I was like, you know, so many of these films have just got the most incredible turns in the middle of them. When I was watching uh, The Virtues, I think I kind of had to lie down for a week because of the (laughs) performances that like came out of that. I mean, like now that you have a bit more space, a bit more flexibility, does that give you more time to work with the actors? Yeah, I mean, without sort of, I don't want to bore you because I'm, I'm a bit of a tech, tech head, but, well, you know, when, when I was, if you're shooting on one camera, uh, say you've got four people in a room and when you in everything I made up until This Is England, the film was all on one camera and you could only get 10 minutes on a roll. And so if you, and you'd normally be expected to shoot a, a wide shot, a mid and then close-ups. So if you're improvising, now I improvise, and each take is different slightly, or, you know, you've not got people in the same positions and stuff like that, it made the edit a nightmare because uh, if you've got five cameras shooting it, you do it once and it's a great take, you've kind mm-hmm. of got it shot and it's all, you've got all of those angles covered. But, you know, the cost of developing film was mental and you'd have to send the rushes off. Someone would drive to London, their job would be to drive, drop them off, get the chemicals, develop the film. And then also you get it in the edit and it didn't all fit together because each take was slightly different. So really, I found filmmaking a real struggle with how I wanted to make it. And it was when I got into TV and these cameras come out, red cameras, I remember at the time, that revolutionised that. And then, you know, now on the, you know, something like The Virtues, we had four cameras shooting all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when you get someone like Stephen Graham and he goes into the pub and he gets drunk for the first time, that's one take and that's, just like, you know, and, and the scene with uh, him in the phone, they're all kind of single takes, a lot of them, but with multiple cameras. And it it's sort of, for my work in particular, it's massively important because if an actor, if you've got to do a really emotional scene 12 times, you're going to hold something back, aren't you? You've got to, you know, whereas if you do, if you think if we get this right, um, like when he went into the pub and, uh, you know, I hadn't drunk, you know, because Stephen was saying to me before, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm any good at acting drunk, you know, and and he kind of did it. And it, the, we did we did one version of it. It was just unbelievable. And it's really lovely for because I really feel for actors because they normally have to land on a mark, say it mm-hmm. a certain way, if the hair's slightly out of place or somebody knocks a mic, they're, they're forever having to go again and go again and go again. And and so, you know, my whole thing is if we get it right in one, it's all in the can and we can all go and have our dinner, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could watch that scene where he's kind of getting increasingly drunk and making worse and worse decisions as almost like a short oh, yeah. film in itself. You're so good at that sort of slow burn tragedy, which is, I mean, it happens in a lot of your films where you can kind of see someone headed towards something terrible and yeah, unable to stop. It's awful. And they're waking up in the morning and it, it's like, um, and I, th- I think, because what's really mad with, because I, I call it improvisation, but I'm basically writing the story with actors as we go, because mm-hmm. you're changing things. And when we met, when Stephen met the young boy that plays his son, he was originally meant to turn up at the house drunk. So it was his kid's last day. So it was more of a archetypal alcoholic already ruined it before he gets there couldn't cope with the stress and we met him and this kid Shay and this I was just like I can't I can't do that to him because this it was just such a beautiful bond and it's like what happens if we do it the other way around so the audience see that painful experience and then he goes to the pub to drink 
and it's like, and you know, so you you sort of if you're having to stick to a script, we'd have done that traditional classic sort of thing. You know, there's going to be a big kickoff at the house, and he was going to run away to Ireland because he'd whacked this lad's stepdad. You know, mm. and and but because of this chemistry between the two of them, we took a U-turn, and you know, and it's like so seeing someone drink and understanding why they've they've drunk again is more painful but more beautiful to watch because we're kind of going there with them and kind of going oh god the only reason he's falling off the wagon is because of that experience and so it makes you care for him in a slightly different way was that also always the case when it came to dead man's shoes because i mean you obviously it's a very dark tale of like revenge um and you know it's not exactly light-hearted fare but that knife twists even more at, at the end i mean did you always have that in mind that you were going to make it even sadder i suppose i don't want to give a spoiler away for people who haven't seen it but yeah it's 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 a rough conclusion yeah it's i mean it's it's kind of one of those dead you know dead man's because obviously you know i can't take the credit for writing all of the story by myself because obviously myself and paddy sort of did it together and there was a script and although we kind of improvised it um, but the yeah the idea of a depth of kind of grief in a character that is um, you know and, and and the problem with those kind of things is because I've not made a film like that before you're not sure you know is it really blatantly obvious that this twist is coming or is it going to be people going what on earth is that about you know it's a really tricky so when you shoot something in three weeks you don't really you can't shoot six versions and kind of so it was we had to really put faith in the in the idea and so it was always like these conversations that you're having with uh, with this other character you can't give one iota of an indication that there isn't a normal conversation with a normal person that's alive and well and and so it was kind of so that we just took we back the decision that um, if we try and have one, you know, like in EastEnders where someone looks across, you know, someone looking over the it's like stay away from any clues mm-hmm. and then ultimately believe in the fact that, you know, the payoff will be that we realised the reason he was doing that was from his own guilt. Um, and, uh, you know, so we had to back a horse and luckily it worked, but it's a very dangerous game, the game of twists. And we kind of decided that, you know, if someone's been away, any of us, if we were away, for a long period of time and a member of our family was picked upon and we could have done something if we'd been there. Um, I think that's maybe the takeaway from it is that you kind of realise this person's been kept alive um, out of grief and guilt. And, you know, thank God it it wasn't cheesy and didn't go bang at the end because you never know. But very, very few people saw it coming. No, and I didn't see it coming. And I had also with the DVD had a little hint of like, oh, it's brilliant. This performance is incredible. And there's a twist, and I still didn't. So I mean, like... amazing, but yeah, no, it's it, it's a kind of. It, it, I think it was um, it wasn't a twist to sell cinema tickets. It was a mm. kind of character thing that made sense. And I think audiences are are intelligent enough to know when something's being done as a trick or whether it's kind of being done for the right reasons. And yeah, it's um, because yeah, whenever you, I remember the the usual suspects was all about the twist, um, and then I didn't see it coming myself. I was exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that one doesn't hold up as well, if I'm honest, but, you know. I've not seen it for so long. But it, the, whole, the whole thing with The Usual Suspects was kind of, it was all about getting to the twist, wasn't mm. it? And it's kind of, have you guessed and have you not? And Whereas, you know, yeah, so that that kind of was maybe a bit of a one-trick pony. 
yeah, as opposed to yet another devastating uh, character study in uh, <laughs> one of your many, many excellent projects. Yeah, before I um, let you go, I just wanted to know if there was a British independent film out there that you kind of wanted to recommend to people? I mean, the, one of my favourite directors who's passed away is Alan Clark. And mm. as a kid, Alan Clark's work made a huge impact on me. And um I mean, I would say anything that he's made stands up. If I'm allowed to mention two, if you haven't seen Rita Sue and Bob 2, it's one of the best British films of all time. But Made in Britain um, is a film that really uh, inspired me, you know, not, not in a kind of copying way, but it was a, you know, I watched that film as a kind of kid and I was going off the rails quite badly. Um, and, and Tim Roth is incredible. I mean, so I'd recommend anything by Alan Clark. But if you haven't seen Rita Sue and Bob 2 or Made in Britain, then they're absolutely must-sees. I mean, it's with Made in Britain. I mean, what was it about that film that you felt kind of gave you a bit of motivation? Well, because because ultimately it's, there's this sort of, it's a hard thing to explain, but when you're sort of a young teenager, there's a kind of support system around you, you know, and, and the whole thing is kind of about this kid that's on the precipice of going from a borstal mm-hmm. into the prison system. And that's the bit at which all the crotch, you know, any support system, all of that suddenly falls away. And then you're in the kind of abyss and there's a fight in, in you when you're a teenager. You have this kind of like, because people are always saying you can't do this, you can do that at school. When there's something to fight against and, you know, maybe you're not having a good time growing up and and you've got something to rebel against, it it, it manages to be about that vacuum of like, you're, you're actually, they had some incredible conversations in it where, um, these people are almost kind of going, look, you know, next step for you, none of us are going to, no one's going to be, no one's going to give a shit. No one's going to mm-hmm. care. No one's going to say you can or you can't. You just basically all that anger and all that kind of rage, you're going to be left with nothing. And and it's about that someone on that, you know, and it, I mean, it's a very hard hitting film and, and, you know, and I've not seen it for a long time. There's some very, very crude, some very bad language, racism covered in, you know, it's a very difficult film probably to watch nowadays, but reflective of the time, it's probably very true to what was going on and what was being said at the time. But as a character study, for me as a kid, thinking it was cool to sniff glue, thinking it was good to do drugs, thinking it was good to cause vandalism, have fights, and then actually seeing somebody at the centre of it, you actually kind of go, at some point in time, no one's going to give a shit about me. They all care now, but there'll be a point in time where, um, you know, I'll, I'll end up uh, with very little and no one will will care. Um, and it kind of helped to sort of put me on a, a slightly different path. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, it, I can't help. Maybe it's just like the pessimist in me where I was just like, well, that's so great that we ended up with all of your work and everything that you've done, but you worry about all of the people that didn't, like all of the films and all of the shows that could have existed for the people that didn't have that change of direction yeah it, it's mad I, I, there was two two things there was that obviously watching that film and then i got taken to um this my dad uh one of his mates was was a local policeman and he took me to this it's a place called riverside um and it was like an approved school you know and and, and i got shown around there and it was in the days where people were glue sniffing and uh mm. and i remember getting shown around there watching made in britain and actually thinking you know uh that that is not cool, baby. You know, there was because obviously there was a friends of mine had got into glue and gas and sadly passed away. It's like you know, so sometimes you have to make a very hard hitting film to actually scare people well. And Made in Britain was was one of those. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. That's awesome. I'm going to yeah, I've I've seen them both, but again, 
think around uni time so I need to do a do a revisit and yeah maybe maybe I scare myself into an even better path of my own who knows yeah. <laughs> amazing oh it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and it's... uh yeah amazing thank right. you talk, bye bye Karis I mean I think anybody who listens to Shane Meadows talking is immediately just going to be a fan of what a great vibe he is but like, were you also a fan of his films oh my gosh what an absolute sweetheart like absolutely honestly loved that interview he's he's so great and you just not that you would ever forget his impact on Brit- British cinema but just listening to your chat you're like wow what a what a guy and I also just love the nerdiness of it of, <laughs> of the way that he he was really kind of talking about the changes between film and and now digital and and how it's really kind of developed his own filmmaking process like I loved all of that so yeah what a guy what a guy and I just I mean the thing that he brought up I mean his he, he spoke you know his his choices were Alan Clark films I actually I feel like every time we do this podcast I confess like a slightly embarrassing lack of knowledge um so I love Alan Clark films and had no idea that Rita Sue and Bob Two was one of them <laughs> like I love oh, scum really? my first one was the firm made in britain i absolutely adored so i was just like yeah this is the guy with the very very brutal harrowing films that i've like haunt my memories particularly the firm there's a few moments in that that absolutely like i close my eyes and will like just sit up gasping because i'll remember a moment with a standing knife in the firm but Rita oh Sue and Bob too. i just thought that was a different filmmaker because it's so lovely <laughs> That's so funny. I have to say, I feel like this is slightly before my generation. So I'm like, this is for sure my introduction into into that. So I need to really, I'm, I'm going to delve deep. After like hearing Shane's enthusiasm for it, I was like, okay, I definitely need to to dig into this catalogue. It sounds fascinating. But yeah, what a, what a gear change from <laughs> skinhead racism to that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I suppose it's something that he's not really done himself. I mean, his films, have, they're not kind of like unrelentingly miserable. There's plenty of moments of joy in like, this is England. But now I kind of really want to see Shane tackle like a rom-com. Is that weird? <laughs> I think definitely. Let's let's make that happen. We know maybe. enough people, right? That's the thing we could do. <laughs> yeah, maybe the rom-com is like a, a young podcaster meets a director that she admires over Zoom. <laughs> and then no one saw it coming <laughs> yes and then all to of a sudden fair, look yeah I was gonna say dating in this era not that I'm doing it but I've heard from many friends is pretty bleak as it is so I think he'd be the perfect person to bring a rom-com to life yeah I mean I think he's he's just got such a kind of humanity to I think everything that he does I mean particularly I mean it wasn't a film it was tv but I was so moved by the virtues and like what kind of empathy it came to it with even though it's a very very difficult watch he just brings something out in people oh my goodness it's amazing you have to it's um again four episodes um about Mm. Basically, a man played by Stephen Graham returning to Ireland after his sort of his ex-wife and child are emigrating to Australia. He sort of has a bit of a breakdown and then returns to Ireland to kind of confront the sins of his youth and everything that he's gone through. 
um spoiler alert those the things he went through as a child were absolutely horrific but yes oh yeah. wow okay yeah, Stephen yeah. graham noam algar just you you can see why the great british actors want to work with Shane Meadows. Mm. He gives them so much to do. Yeah, really like fantastic material to dig into. Um, and that also kind of sounds very similar, that kind of arc of a character to Dead Man's Shoes with that kind of returning to the harrowing things that happened in the past and confronting it and that kind of almost like revenge. Well, Dead Man's Shoes is much more kind of revenge than than it sounds the virtues is, but he clearly ah, that's has what you a, think. But then the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, no spoilers. Yeah, no. But he he clearly has a uh, a real fascination for that, and it and it is an incredibly compelling character arc, isn't it? And and uh, discovery. So, yeah, he is very kind of masterful in that way. Yeah, and I mean, I just love this thing that he brought up because I feel like I often kind of abstractly say that like art, but also movies can like genuinely make you a better person like they can like you can be inspired you can change your life you can kind of re-examine everything that you're doing and look at the world in a kind of kinder and more empathetic way so like the idea that alan clark actually like he he can kind of tangibly say that it changed his life i mean that's just i mean what 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 is filmmaking for if not to have that result yeah absolutely absolutely i think that people can sometimes find it a bit pretentious but it's true and like you have those moments where kind of in almost like a serendipitous way you can watch something that really like holds up a mirror to whatever it is that you're feeling or going through in that moment or that can like yeah as you said like put you on the right path and it sounds like that's exactly what happened with Shane and Alan Clark's work and that's yeah that's all you can ask for really and another reason why and he kind of emphasizes this as well why as confronting as a or as uncomfortable as those films can feel, how important they also are. And so, yeah, I hope, hope that more of that kind of stuff gets made. I feel like we've been really lucky, actually, with this series of the types of movies that we've been able to delve into. And like I know that we had a bit of a critique about, like, God, we're only interested in, you know, the lives of the privileged. But we've been lucky with, actually, that, that a lot of the filmmakers that we've been chatting to are people who have a fascination and a want for different and more diverse kinds of stories so yeah I mean it's kind of a big question but do you do you feel like there's a film that you've loved so much it actually made your life markedly better or changed its oh my god God. oh my goodness I mean this is a very recent example and I, I I feel like people will be like this is just recency bias but I do genuinely think when I after watching everything everywhere all at once it really like had a quite a profound effect on me where I yeah I just felt incredibly seen and just something really struck a chord with me and really deeply resonated with me while watching it and made me about myself and my existence and those very deep profound questions that sometimes you don't really want to to think about so the minute I watched it I knew it was going to be one of my favorite films of all time but yeah I think uh that would be my one that that immediately comes to mind that's also quite recent but what what about you that is there anything that has had that kind of impact on on you and your life there's two and they're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum i think one of them is ikiru which is a kurosawa film all about a man with a terminal illness in post-war japan 
deciding that if you only have a few months left of your life, what is it that you're going to do to actually make a big impact? Um, And then the other one is the Amazon Prime animated series, which is an adaptation of a graphic novel called Invincible. And I I was watching this being just like, oh, I you know, I want to watch this because I've heard it's really fun. My brother's read the series and like, yeah, it's great, great reviews and a really good voice cast. Yeah, it turns out like some of the most harrowing and profound things I've ever heard about what it means to be a parent is on that show. Like in between all of the kind of big smashy, smashy, violent bad guys coming, we're flying through the air stuff. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, Kurosawa and then this animated show that Seth Rogen produced. <laughs> incredible i love that he has range <laughs> he's got range that's all we like to see oh it's incredible i'm yeah i definitely need to um to watch that that sounds amazing strongly strongly recommend but yes and also strongly recommend basically doing a deep dive base into everything that shane meadows has made and everything that alan clark has made i mean most of it scared me and i and i wasn't there for life lessons i must say <laughs> like maybe on my rewatch. <laughs> Some will emerge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think uh, necessary viewing and and two incredible filmmakers who have made a huge impact in British cinema and cinema generally as well. So worth the watch for sure. Well, I personally have been greatly enriched by all the time that I've got to spend with you. Also, all these conversations that we've had with the filmmakers over the series and by the films that they recommended to us and the stuff that they've made. I mean, I even if I can't pinpoint it to, down to one moment like Shane Meadows can with Maiden Britain, I, I feel like I came out of this a better person. <laughs> Yeah, likewise. Honestly, it's been the biggest pleasure to be able to not only chat to yourself and delve into your encyclopedic knowledge of film, which is insane, um, but yeah, to be able to chat to to such fantastic filmmakers about, you know, what inspires them and where they see the landscape of film and their own careers going has been very, very inspiring um, and I hope that it has also done that for the listeners at home. And and I hope that we've like tried to um, get people to delve back into some of the, some of the archives, see a few things. There is a lot, there's a lot out there. So um, no, it's been, it's been so much fun. I'm sad to say goodbye. Uh-uh. Well, no, it's um, ta-ta for now rather than a firm yeah, goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yes, we've got, we have the Biffers themselves coming up. I've um, enthusiastically waved my hand to be on as many subcommittees as humanly possible. Yes. Uh, and nice. I think the state of British independent cinema is in a really good place actually there are so many exciting people coming out just looking at like the potential people being nominated for debuts for directors for all of these things like I I'm leaving this feeling that we're in very good hands with this next generation oh my gosh absolutely it's um, been such a great time and you're completely right we've got a really talented generation of filmmakers emerging and I can't wait to see what they're going to be doing and London Film Festival's around the corner and it's an incredible lineup. so there's a lot going on in the UK that's going to be a lot of fun and, and celebratory and just great so I'm here for the ride yeah, and I think we're about three months away from the Biffa ceremony so we've got a yeah. so we're here for that fun too I'll see you there 
I'll see all the amazing I'll see you there. I hope it's so. An exciting time to be alive, an exciting time to be making a podcast. But yes, I know. Farewell, listeners, but not goodbye. Farewell. We'll miss you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 